Well, there's so much that we have to learn as believers. When we were born again, it's like being a spiritual baby, right? When, you, when a child is born, when a baby's born, there's so much they have to learn. They have to learn how to talk. They have to learn how to walk. They have to even begin to identify uh, parents and, and other ones. And, and when we become Christians, the same thing is true. We, be, we are babes in Christ. And yet, the Scripture is clear that we have a responsibility to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 18. We have a responsibility. Just because we're showing up doesn't mean we're growing up. There's more to it than coming to church. We have to be intentional about becoming more like Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to be honest about our own walk with God. Where are we at? Are we changing? Are we becoming more like Christ Jesus? Or are we potentially regressing in our relationship with God? Has there been things that have happened in our lives that have impacted us negatively and have caused us, in a sense, to even shift away from that place of intimacy with God? It's so easy for that to happen if we're not careful. And so I want to just mention to you today, um, I'm going to be sharing a message that I'm calling it, okay, it is not, the title is not, it is well with your soul. The title is, is it well with your soul? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is it well with our souls? And the Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 14, that every person is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's masterpiece. He created us, in the, in, and then in Christ Jesus, he recreated us. And one of the most amazing revelations Scripture teaches regarding us as humans is that we are tripart beings. We have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, many of us, we give uh, lots of attention to the physical part of us. If we're sick... We take care of ourselves. If we're ill, we do whatever we have to to address that. If we are hungry, we eat. Whatever we need to do in order to ensure that we are healthy, we typically, as human beings, are quite motivated in that area. But the question this morning is, how much time do we actually take and how intentional are we in cultivating the health of our soul and our spirit? The Bible is very clear. I read in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life now and the life to come. So it's so important that we give attention to the spiritual. And also that really entails the soul as well because when we go to be with the Lord in eternity, we're going to be cognizant. We're, we're going to still have emotions. We're going to have understanding. It's not like our spirit just leaves us and floats around and we're in an unconscious state. Not at all. We become very much aware. In fact, our, our, our emotions and our intelligence actually peaks when we leave this life. It's an amazing thing. But the Bible is very clear that we are to focus on making sure that spiritually and in our soul, we are healthy, we are growing, and we are doing well. The Bible is clear 
that we do have a spirit and our soul. And some people would say, well, they're synonymous, our spirit and soul. It's the same thing. But the word is clear that there is a distinction that must be made between our spirit and our soul. Here's a couple of scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a distinction between our spirit, our soul, and our body. In Hebrews 4.12, he says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, that's interesting because the writer of Hebrews is saying there is a division between our spirit and soul, but he's actually saying it's very, very hard to distinguish that. It's not easy to go, okay, so where is our spirit and where do our soul separate? There's, it's really, not, it's very complicated, but there is clearly a distinction between our spirit and our soul. So the question this morning is, what is our spirit? Well, first of all, the word spirit refers to that immaterial facet of humanity. Our spirit is where we discern what is right and wrong. It is the part of us actually that interacts with God. In fact, we could say that the human spirit is the meeting place between divinity and humanity. In Romans 8, 16, Paul said this, the spirit himself, meaning Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit bears witness to not our intellect and our mind, uh, but to our spirit initially. So there's something that happens in that place of communion between the spirit, Holy Spirit, the great spirit of God, obviously, and our human spirits, lowercase s. So there's, there's this place where we become alive, in fact, in Christ. Because the Bible says that before we come to know Jesus Christ, we are dead spiritually. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead spiritually. When we come to Christ, we are born again of the Spirit of God. It actually says that in John 3, verse 3 and verse 6. In the New Living Translation, John 3, 6 says this, humans can produce only human life but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So humans can only produce the biological, the physical, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual. So when we come to Christ, the Bible says that we are made alive, we're born again, we're resurrected spiritually, we are alive in our spirit realm. In fact, when we're born again, we actually gain access into the realm of the kingdom of God. And I love this particular passage. It's found in Hebrews 12, verses 22 and 23. It says this, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly as to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, and listen to this, and to the spirits of righteous, of the righteous made perfect, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Some other translations say, the spirits of just men made perfect. So when you're born again, your spirit is made perfect. Isn't that awesome? Come on, your spirit is made perfect. And the idea is you are at a place, I'm at a place where spiritually, we are all that God created us to be. We actually have the divine image of God in us. We have His Spirit in us, and we are made perfect. It's an amazing thing. But let's talk about 
our soul. Our soul is that part of us which gives us personality. Our soul has three major components. We, we know this, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Sometimes our soul is referred to as uh, having two compartments, the conscious and the subconscious mind. So the conscious mind is where we rationalize and analyze. In other words, it's the part of the mind where we do our thinking and we do our reasoning. The subconscious mind is where our deep beliefs and our attitudes are seated. It's also where our feelings and our emotions are based and also where we retain our memories. Now, unlike our spirit, our soul, our mind, emotions, and our will, our memories, you know, the place where we do our reasoning, all of that stuff, what we think, is not made perfect when we were born again. Our soul is in the process of being made perfect. As we read already in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is God's will that we be sanctified wholly or completely, that not only in our spirit, but our soul and our body as well. Now, theologians refer to this in three simple terms. The first one is justification. When we're born again, we experience justification, which part of that is regeneration, being made alive in Christ. But then the process of becoming more like Jesus in the soul realm is referred to as sanctification. Sanctification isn't just how we behave. Sanctification has to do with the inside part of us, our mind being renewed into the very things that God wants us to be, thinking like God, not walking in, in a contrary way, but thinking like him, responding to, to things the way God would respond in terms of our emotions, and that our mind, with our will, our volition, completely submitted to God so that we are submitted to his perfect will in our lives. How many would say, I just checked all the boxes, and when it comes to how I think, when it comes to how I respond emotionally, and even the choices I make in terms of responding to God, I am absolutely perfect. I need no room for improvement at all. Is anybody in the room? Okay, good, because I was about to give an altar call. In the book of Revelation, it says, you know where all liars shall be cast into. I said, where do liars go? I said, the altar. God's gracious. He wants us to come to the altar. So if we think that we are made, have we been made perfect, we're good in our spirit, in our soul, guys, there's, this, is, this is not true. The Bible says this. Let me read from Hebrews 10, verse 14. This is the New King James Version. It says, our soul is in the process of being transformed. Our soul is being sanctified. For by one offering, Jesus, perfected forever. Listen to this. By one offering, he perfected forever. Listen to this. Are you ready? Those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14. For one offering, he, what did he do? He sanctified, okay? For, he perfected, sorry, forever. Those who are being, trans, being sanctified. The message puts it this way. But that single offering, or by that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Wow. 
So Jesus did everything that needs to be done for us by that single offering, by his death on the cross. He did everything for us, but what? For those who are being sanctified, those who are engaged in the purifying process, in other words. So we can say that on one hand, we are a masterpiece. Come on. But on the other hand, we are a work in progress. Think about that. I am a masterpiece in Christ. I, my spirit has been made perfect. But regarding my soul, I am a work that is in progress. There's still so much that has to change in my life. I love Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. It says this, And be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So he speaks of the fact that we have been recreated all over again in perfect righteousness, but then he says you need to commit yourself to this transforming process as you embrace the glorious Christ that is within you. So we have to cooperate with the Spirit of God that is within us. You know, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Yeah, in Hebrews 5, verse 8, he, Jesus, learned obedience by the things he suffered. How much more do we, as believers, need to learn obedience? It's a process. It's something that God is trying to teach us and, and work in us. He's trying to bring us to that place where we become whole and holy, not just in our spirit, but in our soul, in the way we think, in, with our emotions, how we respond or, or react, and with the choices that we make. This is the gospel. This is what God is trying to do. And so we have this misunderstanding, this misinformation that has been disseminated in many places and among Christians that believe, well, I'm born again, therefore my name's written in heaven and everything's good. This was the ultimate purpose for Jesus dying on the cross for me. But guys, it's not biblical. We are to be sanctified. Justification, our spirit is made holy. Regeneration is part of that. Then secondly, sanctification, our soul is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And then lastly, of course, is the whole aspect of being resurrected. You know, the, the glorification process where our, we're going to receive new bodies one day. Our body's going to be made completely whole and righteous. Isn't that awesome? There's not going to be anything wrong with our bodies. We're not going to get tired. We're not going to grow old. We will never die. We will never get sick. You know, he says he makes all things new. There will be weeping, will be pass away. Pain and sorrow will pass away. All of these things will be gone when Jesus returns. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what John G. Lake said. He wrote a paper called triune salvation. John G. Lake is, he and Catherine Kuhlman, my favorites. But I really love John G. Lake 
the reason why I do is he had such a revelation on who we are in Christ. And he walked in that and he lived that out. He was not a, a religious person by any means. He was actually considered a maverick in his days. But he lived in such a place of revelation and understanding of what the gospel actually entails that he saw so many miracles take place. I think I've already told you this, but when he moved to Spokane, Washington, and he established what is now known as the healing rooms, it's actually documented that in five years, 100,000 people were healed. In five years, physically healed. In fact, the United States government actually said that Spokane, Washington is the healthiest city in America after John G. Lake had been there. Later on, he moved to Portland, Oregon. And in a few years, Portland became designated as the healthiest city in America. He literally got rid of sickness and disease. He was an amazingly anointed man, but the truth is, guys, he understood this powerful revelation of what I'm sharing with you today. And that is the revelation of understanding that our soul must also be processed through the fires of purification and sanctification. Here's what he said. He said, people wonder why after having given their lives to God, and after having received a witness of the Spirit, they're troubled with evil desires and tempted in evil ways. And he says this, the nature, meaning our human nature, has three departments, and therefore the surrender of the Spirit to God is not all that he demands. God demands also the mind and the body. Wow. God isn't just asking for you or me to surrender our spirits. He wants our mind, he wants our emotions, our soul, in other words, to be surrendered to him as well. You see, guys, when our thought life and our emotions are chaotic, guess what happens? <laughs> our life is chaotic. Chaos reigns in, in our bodies. Anxiety, sicknesses, and so on. In fact, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neurologist, a neuroscientist states in one of her writings that 85 to 97% of mental, physical, and emotional illness comes from our thought life. 85 to 97% of emotional, mental, and physical illness comes from our thought life. You know, when you think a thought, we create neural pathways in our brain. The more we think that, the deeper those pathways become until they become habits. And what ends up happening, of course, is just saying, I'm no longer going to do that. I'm going to cease thinking that way. That's, that's okay, but we have to actually develop new neural pathways. Some people say, well, you can break a habit in 30 days. You can break a habit in 60 days. I've read virtually every book out there on, on, on over, you know, developing new habits, and, and I can tell you that for some people, it takes more than a year. No one of us is the same. Some of us have some pretty destructive thought patterns in our lives. We're very negative at times. We think negatively. We, we, we speak negatively because the Bible says that out of the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what ends up happening is for those who are very negative, it takes a lot longer to change those things. A lot longer. 
But I'm here to tell you this morning that it can be done and that Jesus is holding us accountable in the area of our soul. Come on. Jesus is holding us accountable in the area of our soul. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you walk in that place where you are complete, where you are whole in your mind, your will, your emotions, so that you will, con- you will live in a place of physical health. You will live in a place of peace and security, emotional stability, mental equilibrium. The Bible says this in Philippians 4, verse 6, that we are not to worry about anything, but we're to pray about everything. And then it says, as we do that and we give thanks to God, he says that our mind will be kept. He says, he will keep your mind. Some translations say, the peace of God will guard your mind. The word that is used, translated guard or keep is actually a military word in the Greek language. It's a military term. And it speaks of a sentry standing guard. And it's saying that as we pray and we release our burdens and we, we seek God and, and we, we, don't, we refuse not to worry but to give thanks instead. See, when we give thanks, what we're doing is we're contradicting what our negative patterns were. Our negative pattern might be complaining, worrying, thinking the worst case scenario about a situation. But when we choose to actually thank God and praise Him, then we move into a place where we're actually not only are, are we seeing those neural pathways, the negative ones becoming you know, less impressed and less deep in our lives, but we're developing new patterns, new ways of thinking. It's powerful, guys. We are, what are we? We are what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. We, and, and Scripture says this, let that mind, which was in Christ Jesus, be in you. Let that mind, if that is a process. That is a process. There are weeks, there are days when the mind of Glenn is prevailing. And, and I realize, ultimately, that the way I'm dealing with things and responding to things, it's pointing to something in my life that is not yet fully sanctified, fully yielded to Christ Jesus. And as I said, when we are not in a place where our mind, will, and our emotions are being processed through the purification work of the Holy Spirit, and there's an error, and listen to me, when we're, there's, look, the fact is when we're going through a sanctifying process, there's going to be things that are exposed. There's going to be things, we're going to see things about ourselves, how we responded to that. Oh, wow. Why did I respond like that? Or why am I so downcast? Remember the psalmist said, why so downcast, oh, my soul? So he's going, what the heck is going on in my soul? Like, why am I feeling this? Why am I experiencing this in my soul? Why so downcast, oh my soul? Sometimes we need to scratch our heads and go, what is going on in my soul? Why am I reacting this way? Because God is saying, because 
You're not made perfect in your soul. There's a work I want to do deep within your soul. And when that work, when we submit to it and we begin to allow the Lord to to change us and, and to heal us and to sanctify us in our mind, our will, our emotions, it also will affect us spiritually and physically. You know, I've been doing some reading There's a doctor by the name of Herbert Benson, MD of the Benson Henry Institute for Mind Body Medicine. This is what he says. The mind and body communicate constantly. What the mind thinks, perceives, and experiences is sent from the brain to the rest of the body. Isn't that awesome? It's sent from the brain to the rest of the body. Kenneth Pelche, who was the associate clinical professor at the University of California School of Medicine. He has a PhD and an MD. Here's what he had to say. He said, psychological factors, stress in particular, are being recognized as a major contributing factor in what we often see as chronic degenerative disease. By this, I mean such conditions as heart disease, arthritis, depressive conditions, and even cancer. Stress for a period of time is fine. However, if it becomes protracted, the result can be tachycardia, where our heart begins to beat fast for long periods of time. You know, there's this thing called eustress. Eustress is good. Some people say stress is bad. No, 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 no. When you work out and you work your muscles, you're putting your muscles under stress. But it's a good kind of stress. And what happens is because your muscles are being stressed, they actually respond and they grow. So there's something what psychologists call eustress, and eustress is a good type of stress. It's not normal for us to just be like, no stress. I can't have any stress. No, stress is inevitable. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have stress. There are going to be problems. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be things that happen in your life. That's just the way it is. But what psychologists call distress is when it becomes overwhelming. When we, we, it just becomes too much for us, and it becomes overwhelming, and it actually has a negative impact upon us in our psyche and then even physiologically. God is a God who stretches his people. God wants us to experience eustress because, right, no pain, no gain, right? So we're going to go through, and we should expect to experience eustress. But ultimately, God has wired us and created us to have communion with him so that in that place of communion with him, we experience heaven's perspective, we experience the renewing of our mind, we experience the stabilizing of our emotions, and even the strengthening of our psyche and our body in such a way that we can go through these things and it will not overwhelm us. There are some things in life we can eliminate, some types of stress. I get that. In in upcoming sessions, I'm going to be sharing about some practical ways we need to have boundaries in our life 
so that we are not being constantly submitted to stress that is not helpful. But ultimately, every one of us goes through things where we have no control over it. I didn't see that coming. And so what happens is God wants us to realize that, that in these times, we can find a way to cope, and it's not in psychology. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't exercises or tools that psychologists can give us. There's things we can do in terms of practical thinking, tools that psychologists use in their practice to this day that actually are derived from Scripture. Derived from Scripture. Thank you. You look at it, and it's like, hey, Jesus said, this is how you need to respond to stress. Psychologists are teaching that, but they're not recognizing it, perhaps, that this is a biblical principle. So I get that. I understand that. But ultimately, here's what I want us to understand, is that the way that we overcome, the way that we cope, the way that we navigate through stress in life has to be rooted in the Scriptures. Because if it's merely from a psychological perspective, then what ends up happening is it doesn't affect our spirit. And the Bible says that when our spirit is strong, even if we are physically sick, it will cause us to be able to continue through the difficulties even until we are emotionally and physically made whole. If you, a dry spirit crushes the bones, right? But when your spirit is strong, you're able to endure difficulties. So there's things that we have to do spiritually in order to strengthen ourselves in our soul and even in our body. Physical pain, we know, is a warning sign. Something's wrong, right? Hit your thumb with a hammer. None of you would swear I know that. So you would say, thank you, Jesus. Speak in tongues, whatever. But you ultimately, what? <laughs> What's in the heart comes out. What's in the mind comes out. So it's true. I, I, I encourage you, the next time you're with a friend, ask them to put their thumb on the ground or something and hit it with a hammer and just see how sanctified they are. Try it, right? Just, just see. Do, do it to yourself. See how sanctified you are. Okay. <laughs> just, I'm kidding. Now, but the truth is, ultimately, we have to recognize that just as physical pain is a warning sign that something's wrong, so when we have pain in our soul, in our innermost being, it's an indicator that we have to take action and find out what is the root cause. What's, what's going on? How are we healed? Listen to this. Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10, David says this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am troubled. My eyes waste away with grief, my soul and my body. Did you hear that? My soul and my body, not just my body. My soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength fails. Why? Because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. So do you see here the, the interconnection between the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual? In fact, there are, two, there are at least two contributing factors that cause pain in our soul. Two contributing factors. We'll look at them 
briefly this morning. The first one is this, sin in our life. Very quick, sin. There's no soundness in my flesh, David said. This is Psalm 38, 3 and 4. Listen to this. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. I'm feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Now listen to this. David, when he sinned, remember, he committed adultery with Uriah the Hittite's wife, her name was Bathsheba. When David sinned and he was confronted later on by the prophet and he cried out and confessed his sin, later on he wrote at least two psalms, Psalm 38 and Psalm 51. Both of these psalms reveal the anguish that David was in. Listen to this. Because of his sin, that he was keeping to himself. He had not confessed that sin. It was actually festering, like a festering wound in his soul and perhaps even caused sickness in his life. Have you ever heard about people that, that have murdered someone and for years they ended up keeping that to themselves, never, never told anyone, but then one day something happened, they just couldn't keep it anymore couldn't contain it within anymore. You know, we've seen them in prison. Maybe someone comes to Christ. And they go, I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't do this anymore. And they confess what they did. And as a result, they experience just this profound healing in their soul. They may be going to prison for 25 or 30 years, but the freedom that they have in their soul actually that what they were going through was so, so strong and, and so tormenting that to get that out was worth even the time they would spend physically in prison. David cries out in Psalm 51. Listen to the New Living Translation. After he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, he cries out to God to heal the wounds of his soul. Psalm 51, verse 3, the NLT says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. So things that we do, sin, not only hurts other people. Of course, the Bible says that it, it, it's a sin against God, but it ultimately affects us. Ungodly relationships, adultery, doing drugs, hurting people, stealing. You know, these things create wounds in our soul. Resistance to God's will causes emptiness within our soul. Selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, selfish ambition, rejection, fear. Even lukewarmness towards spiritual matters causes a hole, so to speak, in our soul. It causes us to, like, why do I feel this way? Why is it that I don't feel complete? Why is it that I'm struggling? Because there's something in your life that, that you need to make right with God. And even if you've made it right with God, you still may be going through some of the, the guilt and the torment because of the memories of what you've done and, and therefore you need God to actually heal you. Now listen to this. Trauma is the second thing that wounds our soul. 
We know the Bible says that Job was a righteous man, completely righteous. He never did anything wrong, he, he, but yet he experienced, unlike anyone else, great anguish in his soul. In fact, he cried out repeatedly, my soul is vexed. But he did nothing to deserve all the trauma that he experienced in his life. Think about it. His servants were killed. He lost all his wealth. His children were struck dead. He ends up becoming sick and has boils all over his body. He has to deal with three of his closest friends who are falsely accusing him. You must have sinned, Job. You must have done something wrong. Surely this is the reason. And then his amazing wife says, so Job, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> what trauma. What pain and anguish that he went through. As I said, he cried out repeatedly, my soul is vexed. Even Jesus dealt with great anguish of the soul because of what other people did to him, not anything he did. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. One translation says, I'm in great anguish of my soul. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Listen, when someone sins against us, that can create a wound. We, we, we talk about sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We know that's not true. The things that people have gone through in life, if they have not been able to find a way to experience healing, guys, it's a lot deeper than what we think in many of us. There's dysfunction in many of our lives, even to this day, related to things that have happened in the past where we've not allowed God to fully help us and heal us. I'm not saying that everyone in here is dysfunctional. I believe there is wholeness in Jesus. But I recognize that even in life, as, as people speak against us, People lie about you. They gossip about you. You know, they, they attack you. You know, bullying in school. We, we see what happens. Abuse, physical, sexual abuse. People taking advantage of you, using you. Even neglect and abandonment. Not being given what you should have. Not being nurtured and, you know, by your parents in a way that is healthy can have an impact upon you. A lot of people that have missed that connection, particularly with a father, end up becoming people pleasers in life. They do things. There's a void. Why am I engaged in this? There's something within me. There's an emptiness. There's a void. I need healing. Could be trauma from a car accident, a divorce, a child on drugs, a sick family member, business failure, long-term health challenges, all of this can put great strain on our soul. So what the Bible says in Psalm 31, verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. Do you hear that? We can be glad, we can rejoice. Why? Because God saw and sees our affliction, and he knows the anguish of our soul. Psalm 31, verse 7. 
Psalm 147, verse 2 and 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Hallelujah. God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. So, is there an area in your life that you're still suffering in terms of your soul? Maybe you've done things that have hurt other people and you deal with guilt, you deal with shame. In some cultures, shame is actually used by family to make, as in, in a way, to discipline people. Kids, you need to become this. You need to stop doing that. You're shaming us. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I understand the Bible does talk about we can be, we can cause shame to our parents. We can cause shame. We can cause shame through, through moral failure. Pastors cause shame to a church. They cause shame to their family. I get that if there's a moral failure. But ultimately, shame must be put under the blood of Jesus Christ. God wants to remove your shame. He wants to remove your pain. He wants to remove and heal you of the memories from things even that other people have done to you or said to you. Do you know when you listen to things that are destructive, we're gonna get into this in the future, when you listen to words, what other people are saying, even if it's not about you, that it actually causes a wound to your soul. It causes dysfunction in your soul. It's proven. So there's nothing wrong with feeling pain. We all get wounded in life. But the issue is, are we going to allow this to continue to fester or are we going to seek the Lord for healing? I love Psalm 41, verse 4. I'm going to close with this. David said this, Psalm 41, verse 4. Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul. Heal my soul. Let's stand together. Where's Ralph? He's over there, hogging the hell of a good dip for his big game ritual. Oh, boy. Hey, Ralph, can we get some of that, too? Yeah, yeah, soon. Almost done. First the carrot, two taps and dip. Then the celery. Ah, yes, now the chips. All dipped in creamy, hell of a good dip. Mmm, delicious. Yes, it worked! Get the dip made with real milk and cream that wins every time. Not just good, hell of a good. Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Square Sweepstakes is back, and we're kicking off the action again with the largest official game of Super Bowl Squares ever. Here's the play-by-play. -play. There's millions of dollars in prizes, and a bunch of lucky fans are gonna win big. Every single score change will draw one lucky winner from the square to win $50,000. That means touchdowns, field goals, extra points, safeties, even a two-point conversion is a winner. 50 Gs. 
Plus, two grand prize winners will win a half million dollars they could use toward their dream home. There's one way to enter, two ways to win, and zero reasons not to play. See rules and get in the game for free at RocketMortgageSquares.com. Rocket Mortgage, official mortgage sponsor of Super Bowl 56. No purchase necessary. Legal residents of the 50 U.S. and D.C. of age of majority. Ends 11-11-22. Equal housing lender licensed all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. The NFL entities have not offered or sponsored this promotion in any way.